Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I am Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. This is episode 50. And man, it feels like, I don't know what to say about that because I kind of feel like we've been doing this forever, but it kind of feels like we just started and 50 is a big number. What do you think about that, Dave? We made it to 50. It is. You should be feeling old at this point. 50 is a lot of uh, podcasts. Most people, a lot of people quit before now, frankly. Yeah. Well, and I'm really proud of the fact that we've done this every single week. We've done it every single week. We're coming up on a year, two more weeks, and we will have done a year's worth of podcasts, one a week with no no stopping. And I, I, I'm proud of us. I think that's that's pretty cool. We had a Bible study at church, my other gig. And sometimes, you know, Bible studies are slow, boring, usually when they're led exclusively by the pastor, right? But for the last uh, few weeks, we've been studying these Gospels on Sundays. And it's supposed to be an hour. And we always end up at an hour 15, and it feels like it's been 10 minutes. And that's the sign of a wonderful gathering and wonderful people. And every time we do a podcast with you and I, it's like that. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? We're now at the hour 30 minute mark and we're not even, we're not even halfway through what we wanted to say. And it was so exciting and fun. So thank you for 50. Uh, here's shooting for 100 now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. We you know, and I think we, we talk about. I feel like we talk about this as we hit every milestone. Like, and we hit forty, and we had this conversation. We hit fifty in two weeks. We're going to have the conversation again when we hit fifty-two and do a year. But there we go. It's been it's been fun. Will Damien Lillard Damien Lillard be with us at podcast one hundred? Yes or no? Yes. How dare you, Dave? I'll say I'll say no. We'll we'll put that as a standing bet. Uh, if, why, uh, why? if, uh, if I win, you have to eat sushi once I'll pick some tame ones for you. And if you win, I have to eat like you for a week, which is going to destroy me. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Dame, don't make me eat sushi. Don't make me eat sushi. Just, you know, Ugh. one roll, like vegetables mostly Ugh. or something. Or so, well, okay. That doesn't make I'll it just, better. <laughs> it, it, it can be really tasty. Anyway, you'll probably be right. I'll probably have to eat like you for a week, a mayonnaise <laughs> sandwich on Wonder Bread. I actually hate Wonder Bread, but... Yeah, every time I, every time I exaggerate for effect, you correct me, but... <laughs> okay, quarter pounder, with, I... quarter pounder with cheese, hold the cheese. Got it. No, everything. I like the cheese, but I don't like all the like lettuce and tomatoes and yeah, all that stuff. Right, I know. I'm teasing you. You're again. close. You're close. Okay. Quarter pounder <laughs> with cheese. Pick every sesame seed off that bun. <laughs> I'm not that bad, Dave. I'm not that bad. Let's not make it that dramatic. <laughs> Speaking of dramatic, the Trailblazers are basically a soap opera at the moment the, uh, with, with the emotional ups and downs. Since we last did this, we had game two against the Suns, game three against the Clippers. Game two was basically the most perfect game of basketball I've seen from this team in years. Game three was not. So uh, yeah, oh, it, is, it is a roller coaster. I have things to say. 
Say them. I have so many things to say. That's, that I don't that's even why know where we're here. Start. I know. It's like I can see it bubbling <sighs> out of you and just like. Uh, so, so here, yeah. I'll start like this. First of all, we'll go, we'll go back and kind of go over these games, but I'll start like this. Game two, they came out and they played. And they, I mean, I walked, I walked away from that game. I literally said, like, I said this on Twitter kind of jokingly, but I genuinely said, if we can keep playing like this, we might win a championship this year. Like I, and this is not just me being me. This was like setting all of that aside and being completely honest with myself. We, this is a championship team that we watched play against the reigning Western Conference champions. And so with that in mind, I, uh, living in LA and the Blazers playing the Clippers at the Staples Center, I was at the game last night and I was pumped. I was real excited because I'm thinking this is going to be fun. I, you know, I'm going to get to talk trash to the Clippers fans sitting around me because we're going to kick their butts. And we did not kick their butts. And it was really frustrating. It wouldn't have been so bad last night if they hadn't played so good the game before because it's not yep. the first time we've lost by 30. As always, the question with Portland's success is, is it real and is it sustainable? And that was a great, great game. Uh, the Blazers did everything they want. They came out with energy. They set multiple picks, as I've said in the recaps, uh, multiple picks on single plays. They moved multiple players on single plays. They passed efficiently, and not just to pass. I mean, the, the Blazers, have, when they're bad, have two modes. Either they're not passing at all, or they're passing to no effect, and just asking for turnovers and not getting a better shot. Against Phoenix, they passed often and to great effect. So that was good. They also got 41 threes, I mean, three-point attempts. So uh, it was a little bit of a departure, but it was a an artifact of the ball moving that well. But here was the other factor in there, which was the Suns were coming off a back-to-back and an emotional win against the Lakers, and they were tired. And Portland, to their credit, jumped out on them right away. And Phoenix tried to play with them for about a quarter. But by the second quarter, things were waning. And in the second half, it was just, there was a point midway through the third quarter where Chris Ball just fired a three and it missed badly. And you could see him and the entire team go, screw it, we're losing this game. And then Portland went on, you know, they had already had a substantial lead and then they doubled that lead. And that's where all the dunking and all the fun came in. And it was great. But the Suns weren't getting out to cover the arc. The Suns weren't forcing turnovers and, and covering passes. The Suns weren't there. DeAndre Ayton checked out of the game. There were a lot of things going on that just were not favorable to Phoenix. So, yes, they were in name the finals team of the year before, but that was not the finals team the way that they played last year. Fair enough. Portland did the right thing by, by jumping on them, and Portland showed ideally what they can be. But the lesson is always there for Portland. It's the same thing over and over again for eight or nine years straight. It's not what you can be. It's what you are every night. And sure enough, they come back out with Sacramento part two in the game three against the Clippers. Against the Clippers team, by the way, that was very beatable the way they had played before. Yes, they were 0-2, but they were really close to the uh, Warriors and the Grizzlies. They had not lost by much, but they weren't hitting any threes. They were, uh, Paul George is hitting threes, and that's about it. Uh, Eric Bledsoe was the only person even scoring. They were crappy. The whole 
whole rest of their team was cold, was off. With just a little bit of pressure, it seems like Portland could have forced the Clippers into another rough game, which might have been winnable for Portland. Instead, no pressure, wide open three-point shots, no making them run on defense. It was a bad effort. And all of a sudden, the Clippers are spanking you by 30. And you just pound your head against the desk and go, you know what? It doesn't count on Saturday night if you don't also come with at least some of that on Monday. Yeah, I mean, game two, there's a lot of good in game two that we can pull apart. You know, the the defense was there. It was fun to watch them play defense. It felt like they were everywhere. I haven't seen that kind of defense from this team. And it was fun to see. I love games like that. I love the defensive part of basketball and it was fun to watch. Nurk is in was involved a lot more. Uh, a lot of things running through him and and there's more to be said about that later, but it worked for him that night. You know, the, Dame finally hit his first 3 of the season. He had been kind of struggling there. He wasn't it, it just wasn't connecting for him and um he finally hit hit that everybody got play almost everybody got playtime and got fun playtime i mean like you said they were dunking it everywhere it was it it was fun that game was fun if i could just watch that game over and over and over again i would <laughs> because next time they play i'm just going to turn that game back on and pretend that that's what's happening <laughs> because it was so much fun to watch they just looked like they were having fun i'm sure the energy in the moda center was insane it was just it was great. The guys was that was important watch. for are Anthony Simons and Nasir Little, who yeah. really, I mean, those mid-bench players that you know are, or mid-rotation players, I should say, that you know are going to play, and they need to play well. And they really played well. They got a chance to show everything they could do. And for players who aren't used to steady playing time in as big of a role as they're going to play, that's super important. Hey, I belong here. Hey, I'm really good. Hey, you better respect me and watch out for me because I can uncork here. For them, this has been a great three-game series. For for Anthony and Nasir, the start of the season, I think, has been great. Okay, Uh, Absolutely, objectively, and without qualification. Bravo. But why is it great? Because this is their first year really, really doing it this way with this much responsibility. That's why they're great. The start of the season has not been very great. If you are above them in the rotation, you've been starting for five years or nine years or whatever it is. And what... Nasir and Anthony are doing is expected from you every night as just normal. And when you don't show that, it's like good humor guy showing up without ice cream, like we talked about last week. It's like the bell's ringing, the truck's going down the street, but you bring your quarters and the damn thing is empty. <laughs> like, you can't do that. If you're driving down the street, put some ice cream in your truck. I don't get it. This is not the first time we've said this about Yusuf Nurkic. This is not the first time we've said this about CJ McCollum. This is not the first time we said this about anybody on the Blazers. And here we yeah. are again saying the same thing. And as long as this happens, I'm sorry. They're not that good. And this is exactly how they're not that good and why they're not that good. It's an interesting conversation that's happening right now because all of the off-season stuff that happened, all of the talk about, you know, does Dame stay, does he not? Is a coaching change going to make that big of a difference? Are these other ensemble, essentially, players going to help? Like, what what is this 
going to do? Is this enough? There's been a lot of talk about that. And so it's an interesting conversation now because in that one game against the Suns, yeah, it looked like all those things did exactly what they needed to do. It was like, okay, maybe they just needed some time to click. Maybe they just needed some time to get it together, but it worked. But then they come back out in game three and they go right back to all the things that we've, like you just said, that we've talked about before. And so it, it, it makes you wonder, is this a team that is teachable to that degree? Are we going to be able to make the changes that need to be made with this team? Or is it going to have to be the kind of thing where they blow up the team and essentially start over because we can't get out of this rut with this group of players? And by blow up the team, I mean, I mean obviously they don't have to completely start over. But the argument that I will continue, continue to make that I made before is, keeping the same roster, essentially the same roster. Now I know that we did upgrade it and the bench especially is a drastic upgrade and I am not knocking that. I think that's going to make a big difference for us in the season. You can't take a team that was 29th in defense last year and change the coach and expect that now that team is going to be fifth in defense or even 10th in defense, you can't, you, I just don't think that changing a coach and keeping essentially the same roster is going to make that drastic of a difference. I think it's possible that that can make a difference, but I don't know. I don't know. But then you see that game, like the, the game two against the Suns and you think, well, maybe it is going to make a difference. Like maybe something did stick. I, I don't know. It is a roller coaster. Yusuf Nurkic was really good in that game, and C.J. McCollum was really good in that game. And frankly, they were both able to play up the middle of the floor, which helped, okay? The Clippers hit their three-point shots at a pretty good rate once left wide open. And by the way, they shouldn't have been that wide open. But let's just assume for the sake of assuming that you were reading the Clippers' stat line and realizing that Reggie Jackson was shooting an ungodly low amount from from the three-point arc and whatever, and you decided, we're just going to defend this up the middle, make Paul George shoot outside whenever possible, and take our chances at the arc. First of all, you have to be able to change that at some point. But second of all, like, seriously, if, if you're playing up the middle... And you're going to play defense there. You have to play defense there every night. You can't just take breaks in the middle of the floor. It's literally the most, it's the easiest place to score from. And I get that the Clippers tried and succeeded in stretching out Portland's defense a little. But who isn't going to? Under, under those circumstances, who's going, who's not yeah. going, who's going to say, I don't want a wide open corner three. It's literally the in vogue shot, the best shot in the NBA right now. No, I don't want that. That's okay. Well, and, and second of all, if we're defending up the middle, why isn't the energy? Why aren't the rotations there every night? And why are teams still scoring up the middle? Why is it so damn easy when you're actually concentrating on that area of the floor? That's a problem. And either they're not capable or they're not bringing it every night. That's basically the deal. And one is unsolvable, and we should just throw up our hands. The other is inexcusable. I just am really frustrated. I, I, I get why it happened on Saturday night. And I, by the way, I was happy that it happened on Saturday night, too. If you read that recap, it's really joyous, because you know what you do in recaps? You say what actually happened. You don't say what you think it means. You don't say, by the way, for that night, it's that game. That was great. But you, they had to know those questions were there. And I think Coach Billups actually had the right question. Everybody wants to win. Do you want to do what it takes to win? 
And the Blazers are just like mailing in their response, snail mail, saying, no, that's okay. Ask me again some other time. Well, and that's the thing is like you hear Billups say the right things. You know, he he seems to have the concept and I, I think he's trying, but it, it's just it's so confusing to me because you know that they want to win. Where's the breakdown here? Like what's what's happening? They're ca- the thing about that game against the Suns is we've seen what they're capable of. It's possible. They have the skill. They have the ability. We watched them do it for an entire game. We watched them play an entire game of basketball the way that we know that they can play basketball, the way that we've been saying that they can play basketball, the way that we've been hoping that they can play basketball. We watched it. We watched it happen. It gave us all a little bit of hope. We know now that they can do it. So why didn't they do it again? Like it's just, and I know that a lot of this game is mental. I know that sometimes you can take every shot and it can be a good shot and they just don't sink. I know that you could like, there are a million different things you can say. And I know that there's also argument that, you know, in that game too, around half to a little before halftime, Norm got injured. And so Norm wasn't playing in game three, but we still have Dame and CJ and they put Nasir in that starting lineup and Nasir has been proving himself. He's been playing well. This shouldn't have been a 30 point difference. Norm being out with a knee injury is not a 30 point difference. We, it's just, it's not. And we should be able to, we should be able to adjust to that. It shouldn't be something that kills us. So I don't think it was that. And something that I almost hesitate to bring up just because of how much I hate talking about it is Nurk. Nurk is just, he's not playing well. He's played very little good basketball this year as far as it's, I mean, again, you know, this is keep in perspective that he could still beat the best non-NBA player in the world. But, but so it's within reason when I, when I talk about things like this, this is obviously still giving them credit for the skill that they have, but he's struggled. He's not playing the way that we have seen him play in the past. And I just feel like that's what we're saying about Nurk constantly. I feel like we've been saying this about Nurk forever. And I feel like we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. We're saying like, we know Nurk can play. We know he can play well. We know he can do this. And we keep saying like, he's just not playing his best. He's just not playing how we're used to. At what point do we get to the point where this is just how Nurk plays? And what we've seen in the past was in the past. And now this is who Nurk is as a player. At what point do we accept that? And adjust to that. If you watch Nurkic move and other people too, but Nurkic is easy to see because he's really tall and he's right there in the middle of the floor. (laughs) There's some games where he's moving really well and reading really well. There's some games where he just looks like he's not moving at all. And then there are other times, by the way, when opponents make a slight switch. I don't mean like a literal switch on a pick and roll where they, they, they change a little bit where they're going on the floor. They move it more toward the corner. And as soon as they get more towards the side of the floor rather than right up top, Nurkic is much less effective, I think. Now, I haven't backed that up by watching a lot of film. This is just eye test. But as soon as you make Nurkic move more laterally and he has to take a diagonal back toward the basket, uh, he just gets stuck out there. And there's not enough rotations. I mean, the rotations to the middle of the floor are kind of working. And by the way, Phoenix kind of kept it there. So that made it easy. But the rotations out to the side aren't. And so all a team has to do is go eight feet off the center line, you know, vertical from the bucket. And all of a sudden, they've got all kinds of opportunities. That's not defense. That's a dam that's built... The opposite way, perpendicular 
<laughs> to the way the dam's supposed to be built. Instead of across the river, it's up and down the river. And yeah, you're going to stop a little bit of the water sometimes. And yeah, if all the water comes right against your dam wall, it might look pretty good. But you know what? There's way too much space on either side of that, and the river's going to go where the river's going to go. And there's no coach in the NBA or in middle school that's not going to look at that and go, hey, maybe we should make them move a little bit more. I don't get it. I don't I don't understand why. Well, I do get it because they're not this team was not built with those players. There's a certain mental emotional attitude. I guess we're going on too long about this, but I, I swear to you this is important. There's a certain mental emotional attitude that some guys have. That you just I mean Dennis Rodman on the rebounding was a very classic example. He was just Dennis Rodman. He was overwhelming. You were not going to get that rebound. Uh, he also played very well defensively, and he was intimidating. I mean, Draymond Green is another one of those guys, or has been in his prime. Uh, there are more, right? Where you just have that edge, you just have that thing where when they you step on the floor and there's an aura around you, and it's like you're parting the Red Sea, and what you want, you're going to get. The Blazers are more like, hey, if you give it to us, we're going to burn you, and they will. You give it to us, we're going to take it all the way. But you know what? If you don't give it to us, we're not going to try that hard to take it. And it's like, wow, wow, really? That's an incredible culture and an incredible attitude to take towards professional sports. And it's not, certainly not unique. There are a lot of franchises like that. But Portland is definitely one of them at this point. And I don't know how they shake themselves out of it. I don't know that Dame is the guy that can shake him out on the defensive end. He can do it on the offensive end, but he can't. CJ plays one good game and then has a bad one or two. Uh, Nurkic, every other game. Robert Covington and Larry Nance Jr. are good at what they do, but they're not going to be able to stop everything. They're not individual defensive stoppers. They're help defenders in Covington's case and opportunists in Nance's case that will look great if there's a lot of help around them you know, a lot of solid wall around them, they're going to be the reaching out, you know, spikes on that wall that poke you. But without the containing wall, the spikes don't have anywhere to poke. So I don't know who does that. I mean, Anthony Simons, no. Nasir Little probably could, but at this point, he's the little Dutch boy putting his finger in the dam and there are 92 other holes. It's not going to work. So I, I don't know what this team does other than what we always talk about. At least go get damn Ben Simmons. And he'll play defense every night. You might hate the locker room, but he's going to play defense. Man, I don't know, though, because I'll, I'll say, like, I feel like CJ right now is is a big part of what's carrying this team. Dame has struggled going into the beginning of the season. And, and Dame is Dame. And Dame will get it together, and he will be great because he always does. Um, and we saw that happen last year. You know, he he struggled at the beginning of the year. And then he got it together. And, and while he was struggling, CJ carried that team the way we're used to Dame doing it. Um, and I, I feel like even last night, even when the game was not going well, CJ was the highest scorer on the team by, and it wasn't close. Um, and he, you know, even when he's having an off night, he still is, is playing really well. If we take him away in, in, and get someone like Ben Simmons, who is a defensive player, but he's not a scorer. I don't know. I go back and forth with this so much, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not happening. Like we're not going to get Ben Simmons. It's not going to happen. Uh, like, what's CJ doing though? I mean, well, it's not what CJ's doing. CJ's doing great. Yes, yes, absolutely. But what's CJ doing vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the team? How's the rest of the team doing? How's Dame looking right now? Hey, even great. Norm. 
Norm was Norm was pretty good, but still, I mean, it's like you're not getting all three of them firing at once. And even Norm is only taking spot shots. I think in one of these games, he like had only nine attempts. Norman Powell could easily have half again. Well, he should have half again that. He could easily have almost double that and not hurt this offense. It's not additive. It's like the shots that are going to CJ are coming away from Dame. And they're coming away from Norm. And you can compensate that for that somewhat, but you're never going to get all three shooting all the shots they should be shooting. You do get, if one of them is like, for instance, when Dame is struggling and having an off night where he's not shooting great, then you have CJ who can, which is what we saw happen, you know, last night, Dame was not doing, uh, he was, he was struggling. He struggled with his shots last night and CJ was the one putting them in. Damien Lillard's history. What happens when he tries to pull back? He, I won't say he sucks. He doesn't. Yeah, he sucks. 20 points. Boy, that sucks. But he's <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, we're used to him scoring so yeah. much that when he has a, a good night for a normal player, we're like, oh, Dame struggled. <laughs> Remember when he was a, a rookie or a young player adjusting to LaMarcus Aldridge? There were times when he would pull back and try to facilitate and do that thing. And he could do it well, but he wasn't Dame. Remember when he was settling in to the new lineups in like 2015, 2016? He had some great spurts, but... There were times also where it looked like he was really trying to be point guardy. And every time he does that, he doesn't look like Dame. Dame's scoring first thrust creates and allows the rest of his game. And yes, he's still going to get nine assists. I mean, but you know what? He's going to get nine assists when he scores 30 too. The, dif- the difference is he's going to get those same nine assists. He's not going to give you any more point guardness, but he is going to give you way less points. And right now, it looks like Dame is trying to fit in pick his spots. He's not really taken over even for more than like three possessions in any game, whether Portland was up or down. CJ has, and it's been great, but at no point has C- have CJ and Dame stepped up. And at no point really, really have CJ and Dame and Norman Powell stepped up. Yusuf Nurkic has gotten a lot more touches. He's gotten pretty decent shots. He also fumbles the ball every second pass. And it looks like they're trying to feed him. So he's taking shots and possessions away from those three guards. This is not a recipe for happiness. This is not a lineup where you're going to go more than one game in eight. Wow, all four of those guys all went off at once and all got max shots and all came through. If they really did that, I mean, Nurkic would be scoring 18 a night and all three of the guards would be above 20 and Dame would be approaching 30. It's not going to happen. We're just in a weird place. And I, I'm trying, you know, it's really early. We're three games in out of 82. So I'm trying really hard not to lean one way or another or panic one way or another. Again, they're they're adjusting to a whole new system, a whole new way of doing things. I get that that takes time. I get that they're going to have to mesh and, and figure that out. So I'm trying really hard not to overreact either direction and just kind of wait it out and see. You know, this could be growing pains. It could be the kind of thing where, you know, they're going to get it together and we're going to see more of, wh- of that, of what we saw in that Suns game. I have hope. For that, uh, I am holding tightly to that hope <laughs> right now. I guess my point is, if you traded away CJ, Dame is going to resume the lead shots on this team. And he's going to do it because he'll be taking some of those shots CJ is in the ISO, but he's going to do it because Ben Simmons is also going to feed him. Right now, CJ McCollum is the leading shot taker on this team. And it's not just that Dame is missing shots. Dame is not 
taking shots as not as many as, as CJ is anyway. We're not worthy of what we're seeing for CJ uh, from CJ. I, I bow to him absolutely. It is fantastic what he is doing, but this is not as critical to Portland's success ultimately as Dame. And I think everybody acknowledges that. And to me, what CJ is doing is upping his value and. The Blazers need to take advantage of that still. It's an old, old conversation, but I don't see this roster built to be able to score with all its potential scoring. It's never going to mesh in that way over a sustained period. It's going to be exactly this. You're going to see a night where they look absolutely world-beating, and then you're going to see a lot of nights where only two of those four cylinders fire. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid this entire season is going to be one giant roller coaster of up and down and up and down. It feels to me like we're not going to see a whole lot of middle ground. We're going to see a lot of really high highs and really low lows. And I don't know if I can handle that. (laughs) If I can make it through this. But I feel like I say that literally every season, every single season, I say, I don't know if I can handle this. And then I do. So, yeah, but it's, I don't think, actually, I don't think it's going to be that bad because we're not going to see like the blowout win and 30 point losses. That part of it, the change between Phoenix and the Clippers game, that part of it literally is beginning of the season, new coaching, whatever. It's going to, that's going to normalize. But what we're going to see, I think, is a, a bunch of like oatmeal and it either has raisins in it or gravel in it. And it's the same damn oatmeal. It's just part of it is edible, but, you know, mostly on average, not that great. Part of it's inedible and never going to pass for breakfast and not that great. So, I mean, it's just, a, it does not that great mean good or does not that great mean eh, not very good? There's where they're going to end up, and it's going to be the same thing. It's literally the same thing we see. One win, one loss. Two wins, two losses. Run off six, lose five. It's literally what they can't do. That's literally what we, they said, we said they cannot do this year. It's the same story. Make the story different. And if you're going to make the story different, don't wait. By the way, if you can't do it, at least do it going out fighting so damn hard every game that we can't help but cheer for you show me the foot movement show me the adjustment show the commitment every game and i will shut up and praise this team forever what you hate about this team is that they don't <sighs> yeah man it just we got such a good taste that game it was so fun it was so fun to watch them win and win so well I just want to hold on to that feeling a little longer <laughs> i just want to hope that there's going to be more of that Man, I don't know. Yes, it gets me. You know, they could have beaten the Clippers. They could have beaten I, the I know, Clippers. I know, they could have. The Clippers that's were the thing, beatable. And that's, that's the thing. Honestly, truly, I think they can beat most of the teams most of the time. But I think they can. It's not a matter of if they can. At this point, it's a matter of will they? Because they can. We've seen them play. They can. They can play basketball the way that we want them to play basketball. But will they? Will they be consistent? And I don't know. That's that's the thing I can't figure out. Is it a mental block that they just can't quite get there? Is it is it something else? Is I just I can't. <sighs> I don't know. Well, I mean, look, the recipe was easy. Paul George is scoring thirty five a game. He's done this to the Blazers since time immemorial. By the way, the question is, can Paul George beat your entire team? And you look at a starting lineup of Lillard, McCollum, uh, Covington, uh, even with Nasir Little, by the way, Larry Nance Jr. you throw in there, and Yusuf Nurkic. Can Paul George beat that team? Answer should be no. 
But the problem is, Paul George didn't beat you. Guys named Jackson and Hartenstein beat you. I mean, it's literally a tax firm, and you lost by 30. You can't do that. That win was there. And not only did you not take it, you didn't even get close to it. Oh, playoff team. I don't want to hear your playoff team. I don't want to hear how good you are. Do not, until you stop doing that, stop talking. This is such a Portland thing to do, to lose to the Kings, to blow out the reigning Western Conference champions, and then to lose to the Clippers. Like, why do we do this? Why do we do this? I just, uh, okay, so let's talk about a couple other things. Norm got hurt, game two, um, a little before halftime, went off with his knee injured. They was reported shortly after the game was over that the injury was not serious. It was not going to be a long-term recovery type injury, nothing, you know, broken or torn or whatever. So that was good news because I thought for sure we were in trouble there. Now we're seeing reports that he is questionable for the game tomorrow. Coach Billups said he's hopeful that he'll be ready to play. So good for Norm that he's not seriously injured long-term. Same with Cody Zeller. He got hit in the face pretty hard last night. I mean, I cringed. I thought for sure he had rebroken his nose or something the way that he went down, but it was just a, a laceration in his chin. They got him fixed up. He went back in the game last night. So I'm glad that we've avoided any major injuries at least, but man, that's kind of stuff is scary. You see him go down. And I, I think especially as blazer fans where we've had so many guys so badly injured, it just feels like anytime anybody even remotely goes down, you get concerned. I think short term they can absorb almost anything. Almost. He says, not wanting to tempt the fate. It's like for a game or two, this team has enough redundancy and, you know, in the backcourt and in the uh, the wing positions, I think Anthony Simons and Nasir Little can really cover. And by the way, I think Larry Nance Jr. can cover in the front court. But it's long-term. What if this lasts a month is the question. And uh, there's no indication that it will, and that's good. But they are so thin. They are razor thin in their rotation. And they can't afford to lose a guy long-term because the law of averages will catch up to them. A game or two here or there is just more chance for Little and Simons to step up and to become really, really solid. I'm, I'm okay with that. I just don't want to lose somebody for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. Yeah, I agree. And and that's the thing I said that, you know, losing Norm for a game shouldn't be a 30-point difference. We've got guys that can come in and that can play in that position short term. And I actually, like you said, I think it's a good thing for them. I think, you know, we saw that with, with the last couple of years when we were dealing with major players that were injured for long periods of time. I feel like it gave some of those younger guys a chance to really, I mean, they got playtime that they normally wouldn't get. And that's a that's the fastest way to learn and the fastest way to get better in the NBA is to play. So I think that that can be a, a positive thing. It was fun to see Nasir start last night. I think that was really cool. Yeah. And so, you know. I love everything about him. And especially when he came out in that first preseason game and kind of fell flat on his face a little bit, you're like going, oh. But boy, how he's bounced back. And every time he's hit the floor, he's had you know, a pep in his step. He's had energy. You know, he's had fun dunking, but he's also played reasonably good defense. He's absolutely played within the offense. Love everything about how Nasir Little is doing right now. All things considered, I absolutely love everything about Anthony Simons right now. I love almost everything about CJ McCollum right now, give or take some inconsistency on defense. Those are the three who are clearly shining. I think Norman Powell is the next step down. You have kind of, I, I Robert Covington's three-point shooting, 
I also love. So, I mean, Covington and Powell, I put there. Nance Jr. is still finding his way around. And so he's like an incomplete. He's uh, he, he, he's in a fog <laughs> out there. Uh, so we won't even talk about him. I think it's really clear that Damian Lillard has struggled. And Yusuf Nurkic has struggled to be consistent. Now, let's talk about Nurk for a second, because I think there's some misperception about him, too. On the offensive end, particularly. The Blazers actually did with him in the Clippers game what they wanted to do. We've talked about this a little bit before, but it bears bears reiterating because not many people are saying it. Yusuf Nurkic is not the kind of center that you post down low and you give the ball for him to hold and decide what to do. Every time his feet are still, it's trouble. And every time he takes too long setting up his move, it means he ends up rushing his shot and or the passing lanes close around him. It's either turnover or really awkward shot. They have to hit him on the move. And when they hit him on the move, he's able to score quickly with a good shot. In other words, he doesn't hesitate when he has the ball. He turns right into his shot. And then it looks good because his size and quickness advantage both tell. Or he's able to make an instant read before the defense can react and he gets away a good pass. So they have to hit him on the move, and they're doing it. Slowing him down is disaster. That said, there's one prerequisite to moving that fast and that efficiently. You got to catch the damn ball. Because as soon as you don't catch it, as soon as you bobble it, then you've slowed down. Then you've stopped the play right there. Or God forbid you don't catch it, which is also happening, and it gets poked away. He's not catching the ball. If he can't catch the ball, he's done. Because the only plays you're able to set him up for then are the plays that he's going to bungle 40 to 50% of them. I don't know how to solve that. I don't know how to, and I don't know what's going on with his fingers. Is this a chronic thing? I I mean, it kind of has been, but I'm used to his turnovers being, he's standing still, he turns around, there's a guard or a wing behind him and bats the ball right out of his hands. That's very use of Nurkic. I'm not used to this Nurk who can't even catch on the move. I'm not sure the Blazers have tried it, but he needs to get better pretty quickly. Or he just needs to become the offensive rebounder and opportunistic guy again. And I don't know which needs to happen. But this something needs to change here. Uh, otherwise, he's just not going to be effective. Yeah. And, and you know, Nurk is, especially in the spot that he's in, and especially with as short as our lineup is, we need him to be good. Um, and if he's not, like we've said in the past, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really affect the team. It's going to really affect the outcome of those games. So hopefully they can figure that out. I mean, I, I think that more turnovers is going to be a part of what they're doing right now and how they're playing right now. The less, you know, the more movement that they have with the ball, the more that they're passing, the more that they're moving around, the more chances there are for someone to steal the ball versus, you know, when they come down, play ISO, shoot the ball, that's it. It's a lot less likely that the ball is getting swatted out of their hands or it's getting obviously taken when they, they can't take it on a pass when there is no pass, you know, those kinds of things are, that's going to happen more in this type of play. But that being said, there are some things that shouldn't be happening, at least not as much as they are. And that's why I said earlier, like, at what point do we say, cause we keep saying like, we've, this isn't the NERC we're used to. This isn't the NERC we've seen. This isn't whatever. But I feel like we've been saying that for so long now that like, is this not the NERC we're used to seeing? Or is this like, this isn't just a fluke anymore. This isn't just like a random, like this is how NERC plays now. And until we see regular improvement, we have to kind of accept that, that this is where he's at. Did you see a little bit in the Clippers game? Dame tried to feed him a few times. It was in the second half. 
and looked. Now, I can't speak for Dame. I'm just reading tea leaves and expressions. But there was, for instance, a pass that Dame made when Nurk was on the roll, and it like hit Nurkic in the leg. And it may not have been the best pass from Dame. You could see Dame's frustration. Maybe it was with himself. I don't know. But that pass was not uncatchable. And that wasn't yeah. the first pass that Nurkic had bobbled or not caught. And it's almost like, okay, this is the right play. I just made the right play. I got you the ball. What the hell? I mean, as we talked about last week, it's one thing to be making the wrong plays. It's another thing to be making the right plays and they're not working for some reason. Yeah. That feels like what's happening now with Nurk. It feels like what's happening a lot in general. Like I, I, I watch that and I, I feel the frustration because you, you watch them, you know, get, get a steal or, you know, move the ball and get somebody open and whatever they're doing, they're working to get those things. They're working to get in a position where they have a good shot. They're doing that a lot more than I feel like they've done that in the past. And then the shots aren't sinking. And that has to just be so frustrating to work and work and work to get somebody an open shot. And then they either fumble the ball and it's gone or they, you know, they, they turn it over or they just miss an easy shot, not, or an open shot, I should say, you know, that there's, there's things like that, that it just, it has to be so frustrating and you can't get caught up in that. And you can't, because otherwise like everybody's going to make mistakes and everybody's going to have misses and everybody's going to have things like that. Those are normal parts of the game and you can't hold that against a player or get mad or frustrated every time it happens. But when it's happening consistently, there's, there's gotta be frustration there. And that's not a good thing either. That's not going to help them play better. Right. And I think if you take Nurkic's role and or passing ability out of this offense, that's tough now. Because you've got a lot of either perimeter shooting or McCollum and Powell taking turns, I drive, you drive, I drive, you drive. And by the way, neither one of them are probably going to set up a lot of people. I mean, Dame can, but how much do you want Dame driving? How much will Dame drive? And is that really the best use of him? Nurkic is so key to what the Blazers are trying to do right now. I don't even need him to score. I don't mind if he misses some shots, honestly, as long as they're good shots. But not getting the good shots, not getting the play off the ground, it blows up on the launching pad. That's tough. It's like trying to do trigonometry, but you're not getting the addition right. That's, you can't fix that. If you right. can't add, you can't do advanced math. <laughs> right. So, yeah, this will be pretty critical. Now, again, we just pointed out that this NERC hasn't been used like this in a while. So maybe he'll become more comfortable with it. And that would be a big yeah. bonus to the Blazers. But if he is a naturally risky player catching on the pass... Uh, on the move, I should say. I don't know how this new offense works very well then. I think you got to revert to the old offense quicker, sooner. And by the way, even though there was a lot of passing in the Phoenix game, it, it was, uh, they were passing to set up the three in that game. I mean, 41 three-point attempts. And it looked real good. And gr- granted, again, Phoenix was tired. There were 100 reasons for it. But they have to pass to set up the three if they haven't got Nurkic. And the sooner they figure that out, the better. But let's watch Nurk for another week or two and see. If we're still yeah. having this discussion two podcasts or three podcasts from now, something's going to have to change. Yeah. And I think that that's what we kind of end the 
you know, the on the positive note, I guess, is it's still early. We're still, you know, the, they're still trying to figure things out. They're still dealing with a new coach, trying to figure everything out and, and get into a groove. So I don't think it's time to completely panic yet, especially because we did see that game where they really had it together and played so well. It's there. It's possible. So I don't think it's time to freak out yet. I think for now, we just hold our breath, <laughs> cross our fingers, hope that 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 they get that back and and things start to click and everything starts to work together again. I, I think it can for certain parts of this, especially the offense. It's never too early for effort. Yeah. You know, Agreed. and it just please, you talk about rings. I mean, you can't even talk about rings now. You almost got to get that word out of your mouth, like championship parade in Portland. There's no word. That's That's comical at this point. That's ironic. Let's be good. Let's be a really good team. And if this is the big push to define how good we can be, let's bring it every night and just leave it all out there on the floor. I know this is dumb. This is cliche, but it's what they're not doing. The, the give up has got to get out and, and that the not moving has got to get out. There's no, there's no scheme. <laughs> there's no system. There's no roster anywhere that's designed to like, okay, you guys kind of move half the time. I mean, that's a, it doesn't yeah. exist. No. So so maybe move all the time. And right. if you're going to have errors, have errors of commission, not errors of omission. And nobody's hand goes down. Nobody's shoulders goes down and slumps. Nobody half walks toward the cover. If, you, if you're going to close out and you're supposed to close out, close out. And by the way, if you end up three steps shy of the shooter and you still at least closed out, that's a better habit than just saying there's no way I can get there. So at this point, that's all I want to see. I don't even need to see wins. I just need to see that. And if I see that, I think I'll be happy, right? Yeah. Because this is going to be a real likable version of the Blazers. That's clear. If you don't see that, no version of the Blazers will be likable. Yeah, I agree. I think we don't panic yet, and I think that there's still time for them to to improve and to get some of these things together. So I think that's a good thing. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about these games? Not so much about the games. I think that they are what they are. I mean, it's a roller coaster, you know, buckle up. It'll probably be like that. If there's, you know, they'll probably come back and beat the Clippers by 22. Right. I mean, cause that's what they do. And the right. problem is not that they're capable of doing that. The problem is that didn't matter. Cause you just lost by 30 and the score doesn't matter. You know, you lost Sacramento. Okay, so that counts like your your big win against the Clippers. That's just paying off your debt. Right. And that's not that's not really getting you ahead. It's getting you even literally. You should be able to build on that and go, hey, we're, you know, three and one. We're four and one. Mm, no, you're, you're going to get either slightly above even or, you know, rescue you from being really bad. That's not what the deal is with a big win. A big win defines your season, not just the weekend. Set the platform for those, and I think that that's going to be their measure of success, not any individual game. Yeah, I think, you know, hopefully we have some things to look forward to, and it ends up being a fun season to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beat the heck out of the—you got to beat the snot out of the Clippers on Friday, though. You just got to—you got to get that back. 
That's if this were yeah. wrestling and you just got squashed by somebody, but you're supposed to be a main player, you got to come and get your heat back or you got to get your momentum back. You, you just don't, you don't lose twice, especially since the Clippers are not exactly the glitterati of the Western Conference right now. Uh, you, right. you get that back big time. And by the way, why don't you win against Memphis? That would be good too, because then that Clippers win would actually be building on something. By the way, John Morant, who boy. Oh boy. Oh, oh man. If you have not watched him lately, tune into this game on Wednesday night because it's not going to be long before he is mentioned easily. I mean, already before CJ McCollum, even though I think CJ is as good of a player in most ways right now. But John Morant is going to start encroaching on that conversation with Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, and and other, you know, supreme point guards if he keeps this up. Because, and he's young. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. This is one of the guys that you need to watch because, yeah, holy buckets. Well, on another somewhat Blazer-related note, and I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about Blazer-wise, so jump in if there is. I got to do something kind of cool this week, and I just kind of wanted to share that. You know, we've talked on here before about how I'm a photographer as well, and I shoot basketball. And um, I connected with Clyde Drexler's son. Um, His name is Adam. And he is a professional basketball player overseas. He's been home for a little while because of COVID. But he was in the Los Angeles area, and I was able to meet up with him and shoot him playing basketball. I was able to photograph him playing basketball. That's always confusing when I say shoot and we're talking about basketball. And it was really cool. I, you know, I, he's, first of all, he is an incredible player. He has a lot of skill and he's a great dunker. He sat there and dunked for me for over an hour, just over and over and over and over and made the majority of them. He's, he's very talented and he's got a really cool story. I'm, I'm working on that. We're going to be working on something with that, but it was just really, it was really cool. You know, his story aside from his father's story is really interesting. Um, but he also shared some stories about Clyde and, and things like that. And so it was, it was really cool. You know, it's really cool to kind of see some of that as a Blazer fan. So I am, I'm working on something with that, with some of these stories that he told. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be fun. So. That's super awesome. I'm glad to get that opportunity. And, you know, for those people out there listening, don't sleep on what Dia is accomplishing and is doing. Obviously, photography, Dia, was your was your profession long before you hit us in the sports world. So that's a, like a, that's a mature growth curve there. But not just podcasting, but also interacting with people, uh, reaching out in the community, interacting with players. I mean, not that we ever want to lose her, and I intend not to, but Dia is going to be <laughs> the entire package as she grows into this. So uh, I'm glad you get to do this. This will be another step on that uh, curve. And it's just uh, amazing. I I can't wait to hear this story, to see those photos. It's going to be incredible. And never a bad time to hear more about Clyde or Clyde's family. Absolutely never. That's like an evergreen 100%. That is literally, that's, that's the filet mignon of topics, like the classic and will never get old. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Dave. I, I really do. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm not going anywhere. This is, you know, Blazer's Edge is one of those things that I, I love this 
group in this world that we have here. It's, it's a great time. I don't want to give away a lot because I, I, you know, after I'm done writing, then maybe we'll, if, if there are stories that didn't make it in there, maybe we can talk about those. The one thing I will say in talking to him is that Clyde is exactly who we all thought he was. You know, I grew up always hearing about him and seeing him, you know, as as a kid I watched and he always just seemed very nice and very kind. And it was really cool to hear that that is actually exactly who he is. There's just some really cool stories that I think, you know, if they don't make it in to what we're talking about, uh, I may see or if if they don't make it into what I'm writing, then I we may be able to share some of those here because there's some kind of interesting stories that I'd never heard about him. But yeah, just a really cool and aside from Clyde, I mean, Adam is kind of known because of that. But in his own, you know, in his own right, he is a, a talented, talented person. So anyway, I'm excited about that. It's just it's one of those things that I think anytime things like this come up that are Blazers related, um, I like to share them here because you know that's it's something to to watch for so yeah absolutely it's a subject that warms my heart i mean i grew up with clyde too that was really my first love that was mine yeah you know yeah it's like it's like cats sorry you probably don't know about this because you're not a cat person but (laughs) i am not a cat person like you have cats when you're a a kid but they're kind of your parents cats they're kind of your family cat but there's that one cat like your first one as an adult that's really yours. Yeah. And that will always have a special place in your heart because it was that first time that relationship happened. Now I don't want to compare NBA players to animals. Cats. But <laughs> but at the same time, that feeling right. yeah. is how I feel toward Clyde. Like that's that's yeah. mine. That's that's my team. That's right. that's me, you know. That's not that's not my dad's team. That's not the history team. That's not the whatever. That team was mine, and I lived and died with that team, and loved every moment, and just the the thrill, the in your you know heart in your throat thrill of watching them play, and that lasted really through the Sabonis years. It started mm-hmm. to calm a little bit after two thousand one because I was getting older, but also because the play declined, and I certainly feel a lot different now than I did then, and there will never be another you know another team like that. But yeah. Anything I can hear about Clyde and, and or Adam or anyone associated even peripherally with that team, I am eating up. Yeah. Yeah. You, I. It's kind of the same way for me. And it's interesting because I, in, in telling, you know, I was on FaceTime with my mom and my grandma the other day and we were talking about this. And my grandma said, my grandma, um, my grandparents lived in Portland and they're the ones that as a kid had season tickets to the Blazers. They're the ones, you know, I was going to games before I could even walk. They were taking me and sitting me on their lap during Blazer games. And that's where my love for this kind of grew. And that was in Clyde's era. I was born in 85. So it was, you know, I was young when Clyde, and it's wild because I have vivid memories, vivid memories of watching Clyde. And when I look back at the years that he played, I was very young when he stopped playing for the Blazers. I was still really young and I still have such vivid memories of that. But my grandma said, and I found this really cool. She said, you know, they were season ticket holders and they got their season tickets the year that Clyde was drafted and they let their season tickets go the year that he, I don't remember. She said it was the year he moved to Houston or the year that he retired, but one of those. And so my grandparents essentially short of the games that obviously they couldn't make it to watched every single home game that he ever played in Portland. That's so cool to me. I, you know, 
to get to witness that to that degree is just really cool. Actually, that's pretty awesome metric. Be the team yeah. that you can ask your grandma and grandpa to watch, and they'd immediately get why they're watching. And you know, obviously the Blazers, let's give them credit. That Houston series, you know, 0.9. The Oklahoma City series and the Denver series that followed in 2019. Those were, those were moments where anybody could have watched and gotten it. I want to see that team night in and night out. I want to be able to go to grandma and grandpa and say, you got you to gotta see this. You got to see this. Because win or lose, watch this. If the Blazers had that thing, I think they'd be really good. They might not win yeah. it all, but they'd be really good. And by the way, they'd command respect around the league. Damian Lillard is like, he's automatic respect, or at least there's ceiling room for it. And if they follow up on that at all, their reputation respect is going to rise exponentially. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you be, know, be that team. People don't not like Dame. Like you, you don't find, I mean, short of people that are really big fans of the teams that he hits, you know, big three pointers on and they're like, we don't like him because he scored on us. Short of those people, like everybody likes Dame. You go to games like last night, even the Clipper fans around me were talking about how much they like Dame and how good Dame is and whatever else. He's well liked. He's well liked amongst the other players. He's just one of those people that's well respected. And I think that this is part of the conversation and part of why we talk about him kind of being essentially the next in line to be like Clyde, you know, that in it in this franchise, not necessarily in how he plays, but in the franchise. And and I think he's made a name for himself in that same manner where people really have a lot of respect for him and who he is as a person as well as how he plays. He's the Clyde of this generation, easily. Yeah. And he will have a more enduring impact than Clyde because Dame plays in the era of every game televised, social media everywhere. Right. And he is his personality is out there. So right. he ultimately is the most influential player the Blazers have ever fielded and will ever field for a very, very long time, I think. So, yeah, I mean, he's eclipsed Clyde in all those ways. A little bit stronger team around him, a little bit more playoff success, and we can say he's eclipsed Clyde in every way. So, I mean, you know, let's end that debate for Dame. There we go. I mean, whatever it takes, let's hope it happens this season. For uh, yeah. Dia Miller, I am Dave Decker, and we will see you again next week when we turn 51. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. We'll